Hello, everybody. This is Austin Bridges welcoming you to the LL Research Law of One podcast episode number 106. LL Research is a nonprofit dedicated to freely sharing spiritually oriented information and fostering community. You can find virtually all of our material available for free at llresearch.org, and you can visit our forums at discourse.bringforth.org. I am joined today by the usual suspects, Gary Bean and Jim McCarty. In this podcast, we discuss spiritual topics through the lens of the Law of One and bring our own personal experiences to the discussion. We hope to only offer a resource and provide discussion, not to present ourselves as authorities with the final word on these subjects. Please exercise your utmost discernment while you listen to us ramble on. Many of the topics we discuss on the podcast come from questions sent in from seekers. If you have a question or a topic you'd like for us to discuss, please send it in. You can email us at contact at llresearch.org or go to www.llresearch.org slash podcast for further instructions. Again, I am Austin, and this is the LL Research Law of One podcast. Gary and Jim, you with me today? We are here. <laughs> Oh. Yeah, and um, a couple of quick notes before we get underway. One, it's been a long time since the three of us have been together. I, maybe a year? I don't know. That's true, because it was just you and me for the last um, two, technically two episodes, even though it was one recording. Yeah, yeah. Austin and I managed to squeak in something like a couple months ago. So I just want to say it's good to uh, be back in the saddle with you guys. And um, two, this episode was actually going to be the whole team and, and uh, introduce everyone to uh, Trish and Daniel and Joanna as well, but uh, scheduling didn't work out for the whole team. So we're going to make that the next episode. But other than that, I'm ready to roll. Awesome. Yeah, thank you for mentioning that. Hopefully, Jim, you uh, get enough practice doing interviews and other podcasts that you still remember <laughs> how this whole thing works. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think I remember. <laughs> All right. So today, um, our topic, I just chose our topic for today because it is a topic that um, it seems like we haven't actually discussed or focused on on the podcast, and that is... Mm -hmm the concept of the adept um, and we can start the discussion by just talking about what exactly is an adept uh, Jim would you like to start us off well basically an adept is one who has worked on the lower energy centers the uh, the red uh, the orange the yellow and the blue the green I mean <laughs> Get my color straight here and this involves uh, most of the work of third density where we're trying to continue the work of the red ray which is basic to our lives the uh, sexual reproduction and survival uh, that is the uh, pretty much taken care of by itself we don't have to work a lot on those um, so where the real work seems to start is in the orange ray where we're identified as an individual one person that has certain qualities about them or as ross said eccentricities and we learn how to basically accept ourselves at that level of being a human being 
that has relationships with other human beings on a one-to-one -one basis. This is usually the way we begin in our childhood, I think. Uh, you know, where our parents and that brother or a sister uh, get into school, the kids sit next to you in school and the teacher and all of that. And that continues for quite a while. I mean, that, I, that goes on for the rest of our lives, but it, it's kind of like the baby steps we're taking. And then as we get into the yellow ray, we blend our individual selves with other individual selves, again, in the family, in school, and uh, become a group, uh, a family, schoolroom, uh, the neighborhood. And if we happen to be old enough to get jobs, the workplace, all of these are places and opportunities for expanding the nature of ourselves. And, just uh, who we are at that moment and uh, activating some potentials for whom it might become. And then the great work of the third density is to get into the green ray energy center, to open it and to begin to feel unconditional love for all of those about us. And when we can do that, then that is a major step. That's really why we're here. And that happens when we can begin to see others as the creator and see ourselves as a creator, begin to see the creator all around us and begin to serve that creator that we see in other selves. And uh, that's something that uh, is what we do. Uh, again, like all of the lower energy centers, that's what we do for the rest of our incarnations. And uh, if we can do that, you know, serving others at least 51% of the time, then we are available for what Rock called the harvest into the fourth density of love and understanding. And that 51% is just enough to point the needle in service to others. It's, we've made the choice. And again, this continues throughout our incarnation. So once we've got those four energy centers activated and functioning reasonably clearly without too many blockages, then we can move into the blue and uh, that's the first work of the adept and the blue. And I believe we're going to have uh, questions later on to just exactly what the blue energy center does. But in base, you know, basically it's a communication with others. And then the indigo, which is the, uh, the home ground, you might say, of the adept, uh, the uh, third eye, as some people call it, uh, to activate that is to see ourselves as the creator and to be able to... Um, see the creator and other people to, uh, to have a, the uh, the magical ability to create our changes in our consciousness at will to be able to pr progress further on our spiritual journey by feeling that the worth of being the creator that self-worth that uh, comes from knowing you're the creator not any special than anybody else just the same uh, the creator that's it, from what I can tell. <laughs> uh, thank you. So, um, you know, the basic overview being a seeker who has done some uh, modicum of work in the lower energy centers and has achieved that harvestable state. But then uh, what you're saying is the adept goes beyond that harvestable state and starts working in the higher energy centers that um, are more than what we have to achieve in third density. Uh, Gary, do you have anything to add to Jim's definition? For sure. Um, but I also want to say, uh, Jim, it's 
uh, nice that you have this platform that is the LL podcast to really dive into a subject in a focused way versus just impromptu responses to questions, which also has its own value, but it's nice to see you dive in. So um, my own consideration of this question began with trying to understand when in the journey does this designation of ADEP begin for the seeker? And it's not like uh, a PhD, you know, one trains and goes through the process and then they earn the degree and then suddenly a threshold is crossed and they are the PhD or the master mechanic or the master gardener. Uh, rather, I think adepthood is a process. In fact, it's one that continues for a long, long time. Ra says of themselves that they continue to walk the, quote, many, many steps of adepthood, where there are, quote, many things which fall away at each transformation. So something we begin in third density, but continue until there is no self left to continue as a distinct self from the creator. So maybe adepthood is more like an an athlete, a, a spiritual athlete. The, the athlete has a love and passion for the process, for achievement, for excellence, and for the destination. And the adept has a call to excellence as well, but an adept ultimately is learning to step outside the stream of time and the chain of cause and effect to enter into the present moment. Their excellence is for humble seeking of the one and service to others. And unless they wish to invite confusion or worse, the negative path, uh, they're not in it for recognition or wealth either. So I think that they an adept is an adept because they love the creator. That's, a, that's the essence of it. They, they love the creator, which is something that becomes more manifest and more conscious and stronger as, as they move forward. They love truth. They love the ascending movement of evolution back to source. And in that love, an adept is one who has tethered their will to God and a desire for union with the creator and an end to separation. So it could be seen as the opposite end of sleep, if you want to situate it on, a, on the spectrum. An adept isn't taking life at face value, nor are they lost completely in the dream that the material realm is all that there is. They are awake and aware. Aware of what? That life is an opportunity. Whatever the particular spiritual, philosophical, religious outlook, an adept senses the evolutionary potential inherent in the game of life and wants to claim their agency and take responsibility and play the game, so to speak. And even if they're quiet and humble, I mean, adepthood ultimately is, in truth, a humble path. And even if they're not outwardly emotionally passionate, I think they're, an adept can be characterized by saying that there is a burning inside, uh, not just to know or contact truth, but to inhabit and become truth, to die to the separate self that they may be reborn to the true self. And in that light, I see an adept as one who ascribes meaning to their suffering, <clears throat> eventually coming to see, <clears throat> excuse me, suffering as a means of burning away the false self to reveal the true nature of eternal life. I think uh, uh, among the 
things I've rambled on so far, that, that might be one of the key things, how one relates to suffering. An adept has a very empowered view of their suffering and ultimately leans into it. <clears throat> and then I run into a point in my own confusion. I don't know if it's well to address it here or not. Um, Ra says that in the moonlit environment of third density, that, quote, the progress chosen by many adepts becomes a confused path. So it seems that, at least from Ra's perspective, the seeker can be an adept, but not be so successful at it. So that makes me then try to take it deeper about what it means to be an adept. So the next step in my own thinking is to consider that maybe in essence, adepthood is an aspiration. It's an aspiration to pierce the veil of forgetting um, a combination of awareness of the presence of the creator and a desire to find union with that creator. But that aspiration isn't just proactively self-generated or invented within the self. I, I think it, Adepthood is a response to a call from the creator for the mystical upward seeking. The path of the adept is a lived answer to that call. And then um, dove looping back into um, Jim's exploration, I think looking through the window of the energy centers offers a, a, a more precise window of what adepthood means. Um, and it could be clarified by saying that the adept is one who is having done the work of the lower rays, of course, uh, as Jim was describing, is working from the platform of the indigo ray to work on behalf of the creator in the ways of faith. That is to seek hidden understanding, to move beyond the illusion and to work in ways that Ra describes as balanced and radiant. But I'll release it there. Thank you for that. I figured that this topic is one that you would have uh, some really good things to say about. I know that you have sort of been interested in the path of the adept uh, for as long as I've known you. Um, I liked... Well, first of all, I like hosting the podcast because it means I get to just ask you guys questions and let you do all the heavy lifting. And then I can follow up and be like, yeah, I agree. Uh, great answers, guys. Um, uh, like both of your answers, uh, especially pointing out, Gary, that Ra mentioned that they are still walking the paths of adepthood. And that makes me think that this is really something that is kind of focused on third density and particularly focused on that moment of harvestability, the making of the choice within third density, that it seems like if we kind of create a line of when the path of adepthood starts, it is uh, once we reach a point of harvestability and then begin working beyond that point, because mm -hmm. it's beyond that point that the higher energy centers become available to us, we can infer a lot from the law of one about how 
harvestability from their density requires an opening of the heart chakra and 51% service to others. Um, but that's sort of like the minimum. Once we're in third density and we reach that point, we don't have to stop necessarily. We can, you know, if I guess if we wanted to, we could kind of sit back and uh, be like, all right, I made it. Now I'm just going to wait for fourth density. But I feel like the inclination for a lot of service to other seekers is going to be wanting to move beyond that, figure out what other spiritual depths they can perceive and what they can achieve. And the, you also mentioned um, being empowered um, by the suffering and catalyst. And that also relates to how Jim was addressing the definition is um, when we talk about doing that lower energy center work, doing the basic work that will require that we form a new relationship with the experiences of life, that the adept will get to that point by developing a relationship with life, uh, both joy and suffering, that treats all of those things as catalysts and as tools to help propel them along their spiritual journey. And so the adept uh, being able to reach adepthood would mean that they have, uh, at least by that point, been able to kind of figure out that trick of life, that uh, what Carla called the game of life and living the law of one, um, that they were able to consciously engage with their experiences and become a, a conscious co-creator. And you both mentioned the energy centers. I think that is probably one of the easiest ways to really consider the adept and figure out, you know, what qualities belong to the path of the adept versus just a, a different type of seeker. And um, so we can probably talk more about the energy centers. Jim, you kind of uh, covered the basics. The next question I had was specifically regarding the energy centers of the red, orange, yellow, green and uh, what necessarily it looks like for someone to work within those energy centers. Did you have anything more to say about that? Well, I think I pretty well covered the uh, first four. The, uh, the blue energy centers, <laughs> uh, I think you have a specific question about that. Should I go ahead and talk right, about that? Right, yeah. Um, we'll talk about blue specifically because it's a big topic. So before we get to that, yeah. I wanted to ask Gary, um, did you have any uh, answer to the next question I had about what does it look like for someone to work within the red, orange, yellow, and green energy centers? Yeah, I, I definitely had some thoughts. Um, when considering this question, I thought that like much of the, the field of psychotherapy is about the imbalances, blockages, and distortions that occur here in the first three centers. All the many, many ways that we can get held up as people. Um, so I think I might highlight a, a few key aspects of the ways in which the adept, being an adept or a aspiring to be one, has successfully worked enough in these centers that they're activated, energy is relatively flowing, and they are balanced and thus supporting the work in the higher centers. Um, and one key to their work in those lower energy centers is that the adept has learned to take responsibility for their reality. Um, they have, yeah, I don't wanna speak in terms of completion, 
per se. Like the adept has done this work, it's in the past, they succeeded and now they've moved on to the higher things. You know, Ra describes how balance is a moment by moment exercise and um, the adept is particularly on this planet frequently challenged to be in balance and there's always renewed opportunity i would imagine for blockage of the lower chakras however the further the adept goes along their path the more that they crystallize those lower energy centers such that they aren't so susceptible to blockage the energy flowing through those centers is regularized um, and does not splinter as ra says so back to what i was saying among those keys for their successful work in the lower centers is that they have learned to take responsibility for their reality um, which would mean that like they have stopped projecting and blaming others and defending their egoic uh, identity they recognize the self-created nature of reality which would include clear seeing of what other entities are doing or not doing that precipitate the catalyst but nonetheless they know that the the final choice is with themselves in terms of how they relate to the moment to others and so forth uh, ra even has a quote about this they say if the entity being biased from the depths of its mind body spirit complex toward love light were then to accept responsibility for each moment of the time space accumulation of present present moments available to it so its whole past its whole history such an entity can empower its progress and then um as as jim was describing uh too that work in the lower energy centers is both indicated by and and effectuated by the opening of the heart center uh ra, uh, ra says that each entity must in order to completely unblock the yellow ray love all which are in relationship to it with hope only of the other selves joy peace and comfort <laughs> so essentially the work of the green ray is brought to bear on those lower energy centers the self is loved the other selves are loved um catalyst is loved experience is loved as you said austin the, the joy and and the sorrow the joy and the suffering it's all brought into the heart and that's a key way that they have successfully have worked and continue to work on the lower energy centers and then and then finally each balance is unique for every entity as many ways as there are to be human there are to be adepts of course but um an adept in working in the lower centers and the higher centers but the, the lower centers to to start with has spent time mindful conscious time on the questions of balances that are unique to them some being like how do i relate to and care for the body how do i not abuse it how do i balance activity and rest and speaking and listening and giving and receiving and openness and boundaries gentleness and firmness masculine and feminine etc so the adept has consciously navigated a lot of those balances 
Yeah, so I think the picture that is coming clear in terms of what the adept, what the path towards adepthood looks like, sort of the prerequisite, is just this habit of uh, utilizing our experiences and balancing the lower energy centers. Um, you said something, Gary, that made me think of a quote from Ken Wilber, who said that for the lower energy centers, or the lower chakras, as he would say it, we use a therapist, and for the higher chakras, we have a guru. <laughs> and, um, nice. <laughs> uh, so the idea, I think, being that before adepthood, we have taken approach, taken an approach to life, uh, a conscious approach of healing and uh, balancing. And I mean, I think therapy is a valid way to talk about it. Is that they? those lower energy centers, they deal with what might seem like the more mundane things in life, you know, our basic relationships are the basic way that we relate to the world. But the adept is one who will have along that journey realized that those basic things about life are the fundamental lessons of life that we have to find some sort of balanced relationship with in order to do the higher work. And I think, um, a key component to that and understanding the role of the energy centers, since uh, a lot of what we're looking at with the adept is viewing it through the energy centers, is that the work of the lower energy centers is basically never done, never complete, uh, just because you might have an experience or you might um, open or unlock an energy center doesn't mean that it will stay that way forever. There might be different contexts that cause your unique balance to shift and make certain energy centers um, shut off or become overactivated. Uh, so the idea of having this habit of relating to your catalyst in this certain way helps to crystallize those energy centers, like you were saying, Gary, where no matter what context or what situation you're put in, you're more likely to have that balanced flow of uh, light coming through your energy body so that they can go through your lower energy centers and eventually um, you're able to use that light in that certain context in the higher energy centers, um, particularly, you know, once we get to the green, we become harvestable, but then the work of the adept, once that balanced uh, framework is in place, we reach the Blu-ray. And uh, Jim, would you like to share a little bit about your idea of what the Blu-ray work uh, of adepthood looks like? Well, it's concerning uh, communication uh, at a higher level than we usually use it uh, in the lower energy centers. And Ross suggested that honesty was one of the primal features. And they suggested that on our planet, we don't have a lot of honesty. They said we had a paucity of honesty. And I think that might be because there are so many people here from other third density planets that didn't make the harvest and are trying again here that when you are unable to move into the green ray uh, time and again, then it gets more difficult to, to do that and especially to go even beyond the green ray into the blue ray. So. I think that's why there's so much <clears throat> separation and confusion and uh, anger and all of the things we see in the world about us today. So 
hopefully at some point people can get into the green and but i don't know if we're talking about honesty for the mass of the planet or guess it's just for the adept that has made able to get into the green race so the the communication then becomes more refined it becomes something that you feel and you receive you give it you receive it and then as ross said the, the eyes of honesty look upon a new world that you look about you and you see things in a different sense and if you've done your work in the lower energy centers to get there, then you begin, I believe, to see the creator around you in every person and everything and every place. And you are inspired by that seeing and feeling. And the type of communication then becomes inspirational. And it is the first outflowing of the energies of the creator that move from you through your blue ray to share that with others in whatever way that you have available to you and it's usually i would say uh if you're with people who don't really grasp the spiritual path uh you just you take the high road and you become the most authentic person that you can be and you share yourself unreservedly without trying to uh you know convert anybody to your way of thinking you just, you know, try to put a light on uh, the people that you're talking to, relating to, and that type of uh, flowing outward of the energies of the creator then, I think, give you the chance maybe to plant a seed here and there with uh, your neighbors or your friends or the, the people you meet in the grocery store, if you happen to bump into their cart, you know, whatever. Oh, I'm sorry. Hey, can I do anything to help? Uh, you just try to be the best person you can and i think that's the essence of the blu-ray the honesty the honesty isn't just clear communication i believe it's heartfelt communication an open-hearted communication that imbues your words and thoughts and being with uh, a light that others can feel and perhaps um, benefit from yeah absolutely i think there's so much to talk about in terms of the blu-ray specifically um maybe even the indigo ray but um the blu-ray seems to be such a vital aspect of adepthood and sort of especially those initial stages of adepthood uh gary uh what do you feel what do you think about blu-ray work as it relates to the adept yeah i really resonate with jim's focused on honesty um ra describes i feel like they do it multiple times um the authenticity of the adept in other words uh, they describe that the adept lives more and more truly as it is and without pretense and that requires uh, a level of radical honesty and self-integration um as we move upward in our energy centers and our evolutionary path, we integrate ourselves into a synthesized and loved wholeness. Um, prior to integration, we're sort of, I don't know how best to describe it, we are a composite of all these, of this complex of threads within ourselves. 
of components within ourselves that may be in disharmony with one another, maybe in conflict. Some aspects of ourselves may be repressed, may be hidden from our conscious minds, and uh, may be unloved. And the adept, by opening their heart to themselves, by bringing their conscious attention to their catalyst, is integrating all of that all that rejected or wayward energy within themselves into a unitary, unified being. And thus they become more truly who they are by releasing the illusions of what they thought they were, which is a dying to the self, which requires an honesty with the self and an honesty with the world. But that also requires a liberation from the conditioning of the world, from the expectations of, from the perceived expectations of others. And Ross speaks about this specifically. They say, an adept is one which has freed itself more and more from the constraints of the thoughts, opinions, and bonds of other self other selves. Whether this is done for service to others or service to self, it is a necessary part of the awakening of the adept. I believe that work really begins in Blu-ray, refined further in Indigo Ray, which we'll get to in, in the next question, but uh, it really starts at Blu-ray when the entity has learned to love and to be its own self by discovery and integration of itself and radiate that outwards, regardless of how the world is ragging, is, is wagging. Um, and, and in that way of being, the, the one working in a strong Blu-ray, as Jim described, is clarifying the moment, is lending inspiration through a base of loving kindness um, I had one early experience of the Blu-ray that involved Jim, actually. We, it was the uh, first year or two, I was living with Carla and Jim, and it was in my early 20s, and we had a group in the house who was living together, and there was some, um, and, uh, some interpersonal difficulty, I <laughs> honestly forget what it was, uh, but uh, with uh, another person. So we had a meeting in the living room and Jim was sitting in his seat next to Carla. For the listener, Carla and Jim uh, always sat in the same two seats uh, their um, entire many years. And then Jim still sits in this, the same seat that he's had in. So uh, Jim was in a seat across the room and I was sitting next to this person and Jim spoke truth to the situation but with um, compassion and uh, an acceptance of the other person and an acceptance of the other self and i am a thick-headed person not too sensitive to subtle energies but sitting next to this to the recipient of jim's words i felt palpably like this carrier wave like this radiating energy of blu-ray and i knew on a non-intellectual basis that that is what i was feeling in that moment like i was feeling this wave 
come to me and over me intended for the person next to me, but of just loving, clear communication. So uh, I believe that it, it beautified and uh, clarified the moment. But yeah, I think I'd stop there. Yeah, thank you both. Um, like I said, Blu-ray, that's such a deep topic. I wanted to just bounce some thoughts off of something, a few things that both of you said. The first one is that focus on honesty, which I think is an important aspect, probably like the most important aspect of the Blu-ray, is that honesty that Jim brought up. And we've talked about this more than a few times on the podcast, and I always use the example that I'll use again right now, that this honesty is something that is much more essential, much more um, deeper. It's, it is deeper than just truthfulness, just being um, tr saying something that is true. Because the example I always use is that if you are an extremely angry and you punch somebody in the face as an expression of that anger, is that an honest expression of your anger? It is, but is that the honesty that Ra's talking about with Blu-ray honesty? And I would definitely say it is not, unless you're a negative adept who is using that in some sort of like power play. But if you're a positive uh, seeker, uh, I don't think that a positive expression of your anger is punching somebody in the face, even though that is an honest expression. And so the honesty that Rod talks about, I think, is one that is informed, deeply informed by the path that the seeker has taken up to that point. And so the reason why that wouldn't necessarily be a Blu-ray honest response is because that would be lacking the you know, integrated wisdom and integrated experience of everything you've experienced up to that point, which opened the heart and opened the uh, pathway for love to be imbued within your communication, within your honesty. And Rob points out that this honesty, or at least this communication, um, is not just outward, but also inward. They say that the Blu-ray is the ray of free communication with self and with other self. And so I think that's a really big hint as to what really unlocks the potential of the Blu-ray is that this honesty that Ross says we as a people have in great paucity is not just lacking outwardly, but inwardly. We are not honest with ourselves. And so a lot of the process of seeking that the adept has done up to that point of working in the Blu-ray has been discovering the self and coming to know the self and essentially learning to be honest with the self because that honesty has to come be pointed inwards and be uh, used to understand the self before it can really be pointed outwards. So I think that that is a really important aspect when we talk about the Blu-ray and the honesty and the communication that it is, these things aren't just the basics. They're not just saying something. They're not just the idea of communicating anything. Uh, there's a really essential spiritual aspect once we unlock the Blu-ray to how we communicate. And I'll also point out that communication isn't necessarily just you know, speaking words, and it's not just uh, expressing yourself 
in certain ways, but communication is just basically, in my view, any kind of transfer of um, information or even just energy, any way that you interact with anybody else, you are communicating something through your actions. And so I think that the integrated uh, energy system of the adept sort of incorporates all of that into their actions, that the, the Blu-ray honesty isn't just necessarily looked at from that singular perspective, but through their whole being, the entire context of their experience up to that point is imbued in how they are expressing themselves, how they are interacting with other selves. Um, and one thing that you pointed out, Gary, that I wanted to touch on is the liberation aspect of it um, that is related to sort of the authenticity where you referenced that raw quote where Ra said that the adept is one which has freed itself more and more from the constraints of the thoughts, opinions, and bonds of other selves, which I also think is really interesting. And it does speak to the necessity to free yourself from the indoctrination of society, basically. Once we are able to break free of the the bonds that we have formed through growing up in a society that places so many distortions on us. And, you know, I think most people can agree that uh, our society is not geared towards raising adepts necessarily. It's geared towards raising uh, people with all sorts of other types of patterns and distortions <laughs> that help support the the systems that we have in place. And so being able to see that clearly and break free from it is important. But I do uh, want to point out here, this is sort of my own soapbox for this uh, statement, that this statement can also be used for a lot of spiritual bypassing, where if the statement is simply an adept has freed itself from the thoughts, opinions, and bonds of other selves, I think some people might interpret that as meaning that like, oh, in order to be an adept, I have to just not care at all about what other people think. I have to not care at all about how my actions uh, influence others. And particularly, I have to not care at all about the bonds that I have with other selves. And I definitely don't think that that is true for the positive adept. I think that the positive adept doesn't ignore completely all of the thoughts, opinions, and bonds of other selves, but that they can move independently of those things and incorporate those things into their, you know, um, their assessment of the situation and, and attempt to serve others while taking into account those things, uh, but they're not constrained by them. So the reason I say this is because it is a big sort of topic and spiritual bypassing of people who experience these really like powerful, deep transformations upon the spiritual path, but then they find out that they can't relate to their family anymore. Like they might have a spouse and children and they don't know what to do once they hit this point where they have changed, you know, the person that they were when they first started that family is completely different now. So then how do you relate to these people? Uh, I think a positive adept would realize they still have this responsibility. You know, they made a sacred vow. They started a family. They brought life into this world. And if you take that statement that Ross said literally, where you're freeing yourself from the bonds of other selves, you might think, oh, well, that a positive adept is fine, just like upping and leaving and never talking to their family again. I definitely don't think that something like that is true. So just wanted to uh, insert my own little soapbox there.
Yeah, can I add a piece to that real quick? Yeah, sure. I agree completely, and I'm glad you brought that up. And um, as part of that series of Q&As, there's like three, I want to say, on that specific subject. And Ra says, in my paraphrase, something along the lines of this, they call this liberation a disassociation. And they say it's a disassociation from the illusory husks of other selves. And the self too. So like the the various personas and costumes and masks we all wear and the ways that we lied to ourselves and to each other, um, the adept has learned to disidentify or disassociate from that, but uh, conversely make a true association with the heart of other selves and the heart of self. And I think that speaks to the way in which the adept or the, the blue ray entity sees clearly. Um, Ra describes how the gift of the, the gift of the Blu-ray entity to the recipient is the receiving of acceptance. Or that, that's what the recipient receives from the radiating Blu-ray entity is the gift of acceptance. And that is because the, the Blu-ray entity isn't um, relating to the other self, I think, just at the level of the illusory husk, though they are certainly sensitive to the personas of other people. And I, I oh, think it unlikely that the Blu-ray entity is calling themselves to shatter everybody's personas so that they can be revealed for who they are. Um, I think that's a misunderstanding of Blu-ray. But they're able you know, they're relating sensitively to the personas, but they are seeing the self at, at the essential level. And in that seeing, that other self then receives the gift of being seen, of being loved, and then being offered the opportunity of being liberated themselves. I've been around other people who I feel are inhabiting that Blu-ray space pretty well. And my personal experience is I feel more free to be the weirdo that I am um, <laughs> or just more free to be relaxed in, in being myself instead and in being less policed and less, uh, you know, neurotic about how I'm presenting myself because I, I feel loved and I'm with a person who is not totally consumed by their own personas instead they're living in a more liberated space so it invites me to inhabit that space too yeah that's a really good perspective on it and um i have one more point about the blu-ray and then actually a question for jim that's not on the list because you made me think about it gary um but then we'll move on because you know, we could just spend the whole episode talking about the blu-ray um just one more quote about it though and that is as Ra was describing the exchanges of energy in the energy centers and the progression of the energy centers they mentioned that um, green ray is the movement through various energy various experiences of energy exchanges having to do with compassion and all forgiving love to the primary blue ray which is the first ray of radiation of self regardless of any action from another the green ray entity is ineffectual in the face of blockage from other selves. The blue ray entity is a co-creator. So uh, I this is also a quote that I always come back to and I always think about. And, you know, I think 
we could speculate a lot on what raw specifically meant by the green rate entity is ineffectual in the face of blockage from other selves. But to me, that key sentence is the Blu-ray entity is a co-creator. And Ra is kind of hinting here that the Blu-ray is sort of the first ray that we really operate from a conscious uh, perspective where we can move in our life, relate to other selves in a way that is really imbuing that with the conscious attitude that we are co-creating this experience and we have the capability and the potential within us of the creator to operate in any moment as the creator and the blu-ray and and the, the blu-ray energy center uh ross said is one that is an integrated energy center i think that it basically means that it has sort of taken in all of the experience up to that point and has this modicum amount of understanding of the world around it and of other selves and of self that you can you know speak to other self with some sort of ability to come across and be understood at least attempting to be understood rather than attempting to be right or attempting to sort of uh, win the argument or win the discussion or assert yourself in any moment you are instead grasping the moment as it is and figuring out how to allow the creator to shine through in that moment rather than um, just sort of speak your own piece um, and then Gary you used an example with Jim and I actually wanted to ask Jim he has a story um, this was before you were even on the spiritual path, Jim. I think you were in college and there was some sort of conflict happening. And like <laughs> in a moment, you kind of just like something awoke in you that helped to resolve the conflict. And that always struck me as sort of this really clear, random Blu-ray opening. Would you mind sharing that story? Yeah, that's odd. I was just happened to be thinking about it. I was in college and it was, uh, I think it was my senior year. That was a year after I'd already graduated. I came back for another uh, major in sociology. And I was staying with my roommate, uh, Jamie Lewis, in this apartment. And uh, one day we were walking through one of the lobbies of uh, one of the dormitories. And we were part of what was called the uh, the, we wrote a newsletter called the Scorpion. We were part of the hippie generation at that time. And uh, I think we said something in one of the articles about the, f the football team or, and how they were, I'm not remembering exactly what was said, uh, the football team and they, they were not um, good, good people. Some of them were kind of rough to uh, people they, they met in the, the hallways and you know they thought they were better the others. And so we were walking through the dormitory and one of these football players who happened to be from my hometown, I knew him and uh, he was uh, about six feet two and maybe 250 pounds. And uh, he thought Jamie Lewis had written that article, my roommate. And so he grabbed him by the neck, threw him down on the floor and was going to start beating him up. And I stepped in between them and, and I started and as Jamie said it, I read him the riot act. Well, now I don't remember exactly what I said, but I, I along the lines of uh, this is exactly what was being talked about, Jim. Jim Hansen was his name. And uh, 
you're just you're living it out you're proving it and you can do better than that you you need to show that you are better than that so that was basically you know uh what i said and how it happened and you doing that um as i remember it completely diffused the situation right yeah yeah he got up and walked away and mm -hmm. just you know kind of confused <laughs> yeah and the way i've heard you tell the story about it before is it you didn't it's like something got into you like you didn't even know what was yeah. happening like you just you didn't know what you were doing but something moved you to do that and uh that what you were moved to do just diffused the conflict of the moment yeah i think it was the first channeling i ever did maybe from a higher self i don't know <laughs> right yeah so that always struck me as sort of like this um this blu-ray moment where you didn't necessarily you know what you said was uh statement of truth and power and honesty and it sort of manifested in that moment exactly as it was supposed to for the creator to operate and bring harmony to the situation and it did so without you needing to really you know force it to happen it wasn't your own personal will that you inserted into that moment but somehow in that moment the will of the creator moved through you and I think that is related to sort of this random blu-ray opening and what it looks like for a Blu-ray entity to really shine that Blu-ray in a moment of, you know, tension and uh, difficulty. Yeah. Um, so before we, yeah, let's go ahead and move on. Uh, we can talk about this forever, but there is one more very important energy center in uh, this framework of the higher energy centers of the work of the adept, and that is the indigo ray. Um, we might have less to say about it. I'm not sure because it's a much more mysterious energy center. Um, Jim, would you mind sharing what you think the uh, indigo ray work of the adept looks like and maybe examples if you have any? Well, I believe the uh, indigo ray is uh, what Ra called the, the logos in miniature. Uh, it has a great deal of love in it uh, from the heart. It's got a great deal of the uh, communication that purity and clarity of communication and inspiration from the Blu-ray. And I think that it, um, as Ross said, it has a lot of the energies of the pyramid and uh, love and joy, uh, the qualities of uh, the logos, uh, the love that you feel for humanity around you, the desire, the joy to be of service to the humanity that you come in contact with every day and um, those are the manifestations, I believe, of activating the Indogore Energy Center. I think that uh, another manifestation is what Ra would call uh, being able to access your magical personality, which uh, is basically the equivalent of your higher self that you are utilizing for a specific purpose. Uh, when I perform the banishing ritual here, uh, in my room, in this living room here every day and to protect it and purify it for our channeling sessions and for any other gatherings that happen here. Uh, it, it's a way of uh, showing forth the the power and the joy that come in the Indigore Energy Center. Uh, and then when you're able to activate it, from my experience anyway, it was uh, uh, something that I didn't really know was possible uh, but when I was uh, at the Adventure Trail Survival School in Colorado in 1971, going through that brain self-control course and using dreams and journaling and 
neurodramas to uh, try to unblock the energy, supposedly, that uh, would be naturally circuited into the frontal lobes if you were able to do that. Well, it worked. And uh, all of a sudden, uh, one morning, uh, I've, I was in my lean-to. We all had lean-tos that were built away from the camp, so you're totally isolated and able to work on dreams whenever you wanted to and to think about things and to meditate. And one in the morning before dawn, I felt a click in my frontal lobes. And all of a sudden, it was, they were circular like a cyclotron going around and around with uh, an orgasm, basically what it was. And uh, that was the opening of the frontal lobes, which I believe uh, was also uh, a way of getting the, uh, the logos, uh, that joy of living uh, into my life. So that from that point on, I could see people around me as being my other selves. I didn't know at that time they were my other selves. I just was able to, to love more uh, unconditionally and, and to feel the joy of life. So that's what I got to say on that. Yeah, thank you for that description. Um, Gary, you had your own indigo ray experiences recently what are your thoughts on the question of what exactly is the indigo ray work of the adept uh, one quick loop back to the previous question and that's that uh, you were talking about uh the quote where green ray is ineffectual in the face of blockage the blue ray entity in being able to see behind the illusions of the other self um, there may be times where the Blu-ray entity serves as a catalyst to shatter those illusions. The, I didn't mean in my previous reply to imply that the Blu-ray is always coddling, say, the other self. There um, may be times to speak truth, but the, it is just that that truth is delivered in total acceptance of the other self and love of the other self, that the other self can then uh, hear that truth and or ideally uh, work with it and see beyond their own illusions. Um, that said, to the indigo ray, um, I would start my consideration with a note about the how the indigo ray can be opened by the entity who has not done the preliminary work, has not uh, crystallized the lower centers, brought them into balance, and has not activated the heart to a strong degree and opened the blue ray. Uh, Ra, Ra indicates that by some means, I don't completely understand it, the indigo ray can be opened um, through work in will and faith, concentration, ritual, and so forth and open the gateway and in a way which leads to disarrangement and imbalance of the self so will and faith are strongly associated with indigo ray and there are entities who become zealous or single-pointed in some kind of mission some kind of great exercise of will and faith and it may be even tapping the indigo ray indigo ray but those entities haven't done their other homework with catalyst so they are not um the the two key qualities of the indigo ray as described by ra balanced and radiant i think for the adept working in 
offering service and seeking the creator from from the indigo ray they are doing so in a way which is perceptible as radiant and balanced uh, to some at least and then um the indigo ray like as you were indicating austin it, um, there's some difficulty in speaking about it because it's it's the it's the bridge to infinity it's the jumping off point into that which is unknown into the mystery that is where the mind body spirit complex which it has perceived itself to be a separate entity is really beginning to tabernacle with the mystery with intelligent infinity so even ra describes they're talking about energy center exchange in sexual energy center exchange and they say i think they withhold information about the indigo ray saying that it is a shadow land so it's it's the realm of the occult of of the mystery of the hidden and it's available for the self's own discovery so there are limitations in terms of um what we can describe of it and i think there are a couple key things that i would highlight um about what so your question is was what is the work of the indigo ray and rod does describe a, a couple ways of the, the way that the entity works on behalf of the creator and you know like healing comes to mind teaching inspired communication and so forth but they they also say that the adept seeks to influence the polarity of the planet and that they do this by becoming a quote living channel for love and light channeling that radiance directly into the planetary energy web and they even go so far as to say that the positive adept may literally help to manifest forth density um, I was going to read the quote, but for time, I'll skip it. It's 50.9, if anybody is interested. And then a, a final point about the indigo ray that I would offer is that um, in 58.23, Ra says, contact with indigo ray need not necessarily show itself in any certain gift or guidepost, as you have said. There are some whose indigo energy is that of pure being and is never manifested, yet all are aware of such an entity's progress. Um, others may teach or share in many ways contact with intelligent energy. Others continue in unmanifested form seeking intelligent infinity. Thus, the manifestation is a lesser signpost than that which is sensed or intuited about a mind-body-spirit complex. This violet ray being this is far more indicative, indicative of true self. So there's these concepts of, of the work of doing and the work of being in the Confederation philosophy. And I think they are very helpful concepts um, because it, a lot of our work in the, particularly in the lower energy centers is involved with the work of doing and activity and outward orientation whereas as we move into the indigo ray we're um less concerned about doing i mean energy is flowing through those lower energy centers because we have balance accepted integrated that work of doing so the system's chucking along really nicely 
And in indigo ray, we go inward um, and we spend time in beingness. Ra even calls it the study of being. So there's um, a progression there. There's a learning that happens by abiding and spending time in beingness. The portal to which, as and to the best of my understanding, is in stillness and in silence. Um, to inhabit those spaces of stilling our consciousness and abiding in silence, we are doing the work of being, which is also a work of surrendering. All that doing, all that activity, all of our um, desires and so forth are all collected to a concentrated point and surrendered, and we give ourselves to the creator here. We become receptive in that place of beingness. So that's that's a nice shape for how I see the work of the indigo ray on the path of the adept. Yeah, thank you. Um, I think, like I've been saying, we could probably dedicate a few episodes to specifically what blu-ray work is what indigo ray work is and so i think the overall view based on your responses is um both of your responses is that you know the indigo ray work is sort of the an essential work of spirit it's a very internal work mm -hmm. and that the work of the adept basically or at least how that energy center relates to the adept is the adept is somebody who has been able to uh find a place in life where they have a certain balance that allows them to then approach that work from a very conscious standpoint like you were talking about gary like these energy centers can be worked with in a way that isn't so balanced and that that can actually exacerbate distortion but the adept is somebody who understands the necessity of balance and is has done the prerequisite work and is willing to continue doing that work on the lower energy centers on the more fundamental basic aspects of their spiritual life that then support the higher work of the indigo ray and i think the indigo ray too really relates to in the archetypal sense the work of the spirit it seems like to me a lot of the work of the indigo ray correlates to how Ra describes the cycle of the spirit within the archetypical mind and uh, you had mentioned before the recording there was a particular quote Gary that you sent that you were hoping to touch on I don't know how much time we have but just to read it um, because it is relevant the quote is the progress chosen by many adepts becomes a confused path as each adept attempts to use the catalyst of the spirit Few there are which are successful in grasping the light of the sun. By far, the majority of adepts remain groping in the moonlight. And, as we have said, this light can deceive as well as uncover hidden mystery. Um, so that's kind of a, a spooky uh, <laughs> quote, I think. But <laughs> I think uh, is a really good example, too. I think it points out that uh, this work is long-term work that we can reach this point in our lifetime of, you know, working in the indigo ray, but that it is, like Ross said, most adepts are grasping or groping in the moonlight. 
um, which I think basically means that they're trying their best to work with spirit, but uh, haven't quite been able to really thread the needle in terms of being able to do the really essential work that requires this very slow, deliberate, patient uh, process of working with what Ra refers to as the darkness and what Gary was basically pointing to uh, earlier in the episode where Ra likened a veiled third density to um, working with candlelight in a in the darkness i think that work of spirit um you know third density in all aspects is that darkness but the work of spirit is one that recognizes and realizes that darkness and attempts to um utilize that darkness for its purpose that you know it's part of the archetypal mind of our experience the logos had planned for our experience of the mind body and spirit to be set up in this certain way and when we start tapping into you know the indigo ray or the spiritual the spirit cycle of the archetypes we are starting to really recognize how dim our perception is of our reality and how limited it really is because of the veil and doing our best to expand that or pierce that veil and figure out what we can glean from that darkness uh, and really acknowledging it's um, it's there and searching for the jewels that it might contain. Um, let's see. Uh, did you have any uh, further thoughts to share on that, Jim? Uh, just maybe one or two. I think that uh, the darkness that is provided by the veil has made it difficult for many people, as I mentioned before, who have come to this earth re to repeat the third density cycle. And that just as eventually everyone will be able to be graduated to the fourth density because there's an infinity of time to do that, just so for the adept that is groping in the darkness, there is the opportunity to eventually begin to use those uh, difficult experiences, uh, as Ross said, the most unhappy of experiences uh, in the catalyst of the adept can, after a period of time, allow the adept to feel the, the light of the sun and to be able to uh, move forward then and no longer grope in the darkness. I think everybody, uh, Everybody has that uh, darkness to deal with on different levels of being, but that darkness does not always prevail. What will prevail is the light because the creator exists within us and wants to know the light through us once again and will eventually do so, but it just might take a little of what we call time. Yeah, very well said and very important, I think, whenever we talk about progression as spiritual seekers and sort of like there are these signposts and these um mile markers on the spiritual path i think it's very easy and maybe inevitable because i know it happens with me and i do it to myself that we start comparing ourselves we start judging ourselves that we use these descriptions that Ra gives us of these certain types of uh, seekers as ways to compare ourselves and try to like use them as ideals to try to be that and it can cause us to either force ourselves to progress too quickly um, judge ourselves too harshly and like ross says judgment just engenders distortion um, so using these descriptions uh, requires you to have some patience and some compassion for yourself and to understand that this process of our spiritual journey 
it, a lot can happen in one lifetime. I think for most people listening to this podcast it is probably a very uh, eventful lifetime for anybody, but it's also just one lifetime out of many, many, many lifetimes of our spiritual journey. And so we're not meant to become perfect beings within a single lifetime. Uh, and I think that's important to remember when we talk about these things that the adept might be able to do and uh, where we might get lost uh, groping in the moonlight that's a totally normal thing and you shouldn't be frustrated or judge yourself for it it's part of the process uh, so before moving on to sort of our final questions Gary did you have any follow-ups on that no just appreciated your use of the uh, phrases slow deliberate and patient and Jim's quote of the how the adept can work with the most unhappy of of experiences and through that work eventually grasp the light of the sun. But no, I'm ready to move on. Cool. So next question I had was, should one seek to be an adept and why or why not? Gary, what do you think? Oh, also quick, quick plug for one of LL's books, um, that groping in the moonlight quote that you read, Austin, that is uh, discussed to some degree in a concept guide. So should one seek to be an adept? Why or why not? Um, well, I think one uh, should not... I always start to stumble, stumble when I use words of should and should not. <laughs> it's like... Uh, one should not seek to be an adept for the sake of ad, uh, being an adept for some perceived self-glorification or um, uh, or gaining of worthiness by the mantle. Um, I think an adept is a way, a term we use to understand somebody who has a passion for union with the creator for truth etc as we were describing in the first portion of the podcast um but whether or not one should take up this path i think it depends on uh, one's relationship with suffering how strongly do you want to liberate from the false self that precipitates suffering for self and others how strongly do you need to discover the true self how willing are you to let go of your attachments in the sacrifice of the extraneous for the essential? I think that is Ra describes elsewhere how there are few which are successful in grasping the light of the sun and few which who few who will undergo the many distortion leavings that are part of the path of the adept. And that's an aspect we haven't focused much on in this podcast is the dying to self, as it's called, which is inherent in the path of mysticism. Um, Ra gives some reference to that dimension of the path of the adept in this quote. And they're talking about the, the resonating chamber, which is that subterranean chamber underneath the Great Pyramid and its function. They say, the so-called resonating chamber may be likened unto the symbology of the burial and resurrection of the body, wherein the entity dies to self and through this confrontation of apparent loss 
and realization of essential gain is transmuted into a new and risen being. Uh, this dynamic is echoed in the processes of the Queen's Chamber as well. I don't have the quote in front of me, but Ra speaks there as well about a sort of dying to the self and a resurrection or a true life being made available. So this and elsewhere in the material, Ra describes how as the entity progresses, even just through normal progression, not necessarily through seeking the peak of Everest and scaling the heights, just through normal progression, um, distortions of self fall away. Once we have learned the lesson that they provided and learned to love and accept the catalyst and love and accept ourselves and find our wholeness, then our illusory notions of self fall away. That falling away as it's experienced on a human level is often a dying to self um, or perceived as a sort of dying because it's a release of identity. This, I am not that entity that I thought I was. And so there's a, a process of death of that who you, that which you thought you were. And that can, is often, <laughs> Or can be met with a lot of pain and resistance and be preceded by dark nights too, where the self is disoriented and in disarray and um, has little sense of the light except by having faith that the light is there. And there are great stretches of suffering on, on the path of the adept. And so I highlight this when asking, should one seek to be an adept or not, I think one has to be willing to to die to the self, as it were. Of course, that's not necessarily a commitment one can <laughs> make at the seeming start of the path and say, I am um, this is my conviction and I'm and then be able to hold to that because they made a declaration to themselves. Uh, life has a way of um tossing us around such that whatever the firmness of our former convictions, uh, we will be ready to give it all up for sure. But there is some sort of resilience combined with uh, desire and, and grit that sees the entity through those distortion leavings, through those series of, of deaths that takes one into the path of adepthood. But it's not just a losing. And this is why I love Ra's quote here. Um, in just a few words, they describe this juxtaposition, this dynamic relationship by saying, confrontation of apparent loss and realization of essential gain. So that which dies, that which is lost, um, reveals something much deeper, something much more essential, something much truer, and ultimately much more joyful, <laughs> uh, though it's difficult to see from the illusory standpoint. And there is a necessity to give up our attachments, to give up the extraneous, to sacrifice it, if you will, not, not through force of will, not through forcing one to become anesthetic, ascetic rather 
and eschewing the ways of the world, um, you encounter Buddha's exploration of that and his journey, how he, he like went to the extremes, uh, apparently in his biography and, and forcing upon himself the path that, that, uh, other of uh his contemporary mystics were taking like uh, like fasting for days on end and living without any possessions and denying the self so many of its needs and found that like that didn't work that just created um attachments to illusory identities which you know helped was a key realization for his journey to to find that middle way um but nonetheless there is a necessity for sacrifice, as I understand it. And that's that's a key um, thing to consider and a, and a key part of why I think Ra describes, they say the majority, the majority of adepts on this planet are um, uh, living a confused path because I think a, a lot of us are, myself included, are quite attached and um, not yet willing to go undergo those deaths and final quick thought um somewhere of a side tangent ross describes seems to indicate that one can be an adept yet do no conscious work in this lifetime they say uh Literally, there are many wanderers whom you may call adepts who do no conscious work in the present incarnation. It is a matter of attention. Uh, one may be a fine catcher of your game sphere. <laughs> but, <laughs> but if the eye is not turned as the sphere is tossed, then perchance it will pass the entity by. If it is turned, if it turned its eyes upon the sphere catching would be easy so like i could um we may in our larger soul stream have be walking the path of the adept but in a particular incarnation which is one among many as austin was describing um our attention is focused elsewhere maybe that's because we've forgotten uh, our pre-incarnational design or maybe it's because there's other work we wanted to do uh, ra describes how an entity who has done work in the higher energy centers uh, uh determines that there is actually some balances that are ne necessary in the lower energy centers so they incarnate in, a, in an upcoming incarnation and th they focus uh, maybe purely on family relationships or, or work commitments or um, taking responsibility or or something of that nature without getting into the the blue and indigo ray but um, in their soul stream they are adepts but that's it for me yeah thank you lots of really good thoughts there i have a couple of reflections but first i want to see if jim has any opinion about whether one should uh, seek to be an adept or not well i think that uh, it's something that's up to each person i don't think there's a general uh, concept here that would be fitting for everyone i think you have to consult your own intuition consult your heart see why you're here um i think everybody has eventually on the path as gary was saying um, everybody will become an adept whether it's in this life or this density or another life or density so uh see what it feels like to you what what is your heart's desire um what have you been doing uh, 
in your life thus far that you would like to add unto and how would you like to do that? We all want to move forward on our spiritual paths. And I'm sure that everybody listening to this podcast is uh, really serious about doing that, but hopefully also in a joyful way. Um, so I would say uh, consult your heart, your intuition, and uh, meditate on it. Yeah, uh, I think that idea of this like sort of inevitability is interesting that it is sort of a thing that will happen to us regardless of whether or not we want it to happen because that's just what the spiritual process the process of spiritual evolution anyways is kind of intended to do it's to push us towards this trajectory that then allows us to begin consciously relating to our experiences consciously relating to the path that we're on and that is essentially the entire point of adepthood is that ability to very consciously relate to everything that we encounter. So I think that's a really uh, important note is that it will happen. It is part of the spiritual process. So sort of this interesting dynamic that I'm sort of sensing in the conversation, especially in how Gary described it, is that there are, I guess, sort of levels of dedication or like different ways that you can approach this idea of adepthood and one of them is you know on the extreme like Gary was talking about in Egypt they had the resonating chamber that was intended to sort of simulate uh, a death and rebirth in a very kind of literal way uh, it meant was a sensory deprivation and I'm sure there was some sort of very specific and intentional ritual that went into a person dedicating themselves to this transformation and then going through the process of having this initiation in the pyramid and then awakening basically a new person. You know, the old person that went in in a very real way died and a new person came out. And that I think would be one of the most extreme ways to engage with the sacrifice that Gary was talking about and the uh, transformative process that is required for this. I think another way to look at it too is it doesn't necessarily have to be such a singular extreme experience, particularly these days. Uh, I think about the context of somebody who might undergo that process in ancient Egypt versus a spiritual seeker today who's you know, has a job and a family and is trying to figure out how to relate to their life, they probably don't want to have a singular death and rebirth experience, but they can still engage with the archetype of death and rebirth and experience maybe smaller deaths and rebirths in their own life and their own processes that um, helps it to be more incorporated with the life that they've established rather than just completely dying to the old self and then being born to a new self. And so I think both of those are sort of valid views of the adept. And when Ra talks about the adept, I feel like they maybe sometimes are referring more to the extreme, you know, one who has literally died to the self in this incarnation and awoken to a new life of service. 
but also one who is just working with that process of death and rebirth and maybe hasn't undergone such an extreme transformation, but does undergo transformations on their spiritual path and have consistently worked with these transformations towards a certain goal. Uh, so I think those are both kind of different spectrums of the adept. And uh, like you guys are saying, it's really a matter of what you feel in your heart. Um, kind of which process you want to engage with it's like slow gradual leaning into the inevitability of it or you want to you know go under the pyramid right now and just get it done <laughs> uh, be reborn um so the next question uh, i had sent uh, we're nearing the end of our podcast um, but if you have any idea We've talked about this a little bit, but if you have any additional thoughts, uh, Gary, how does one dedicate themselves to the path of the adept? Well, from one blind adept to another, here's my pointers. I, I, I definitely consider myself as one uh, groping in the moonlight, as it were, whatever the whatever illumin illumination that i have been fortunate to gain in this life i the way my daily patterns are lived are indicative more of the confused path i think but insofar as i understand anything i think that um in considering how one dedicates themselves to the path of the of the, of the adept i think i that the self needs to come into an understanding of their desire. Um, man, I'd really like to make an analysis of 18.5. Uh, Ra talks about, if you look at 18.5, that's the one where they say that the proper role for the entity is to, um, in this density, is to experience all things desired. And then upon experiencing all things desired to analyze, understand, and accept these experiences, distilling from them the love light within them. And they say that as progression happens in this process, these desires become more and more distorted toward conscious application of love light as the entity furnishes itself with distilled experience. So I, I kind of see that process for one intent on conscious evolution and moving upward as a purification. One is uh, uh, distilling the myriad wayward and erratic and self-serving, self-gratifying, self-confusing desires um, to discover what is the core desire uh, underneath all of them really what is the the unitary single desire that motivated creation from the beginning and that is that the entity uh the seeker seeks to become one i don't remember the verbatim so an adept is one who has come into an understanding of what it is they they really desire maybe you know there i'm sure there are other more shallow desires without speaking judgmentally just in terms of seeing a sort of uh, hierarchy or degree of depth and desire we may have a variety of um, the more surface level desires but an adept knows that their life is motivated by that desire to to seek uh, the creator 
and how one dedicates themselves to the path of a, the adept. Another point to consider might be just on a human relationship level, learning to release um, those things that uh, get us held up, like um, all the slights, the injuries, the injustices, the jealousies, the insecurities, and the way things don't go the way we want them. Um, you know, and all that's, quote, wrong with the world. I think that is all that resistance that comes up is the ways of, of the lower chakras. So if one wants to dedicate themselves to the path of the adept, there must be it over time, likely a, a learning to balance those energies and, and to release them and um, to give oneself to God. Uh, ultimately, I think that is manifest most potently in accepting of one's suffering. Um, not necessarily in passivity to to cruel cir circumstance or not um, taking action to make change in the world, but in cultivating an underlying radical and deep trust in the creator and in the moment. I think one can become and dedicate themselves to becoming an adept the more that they can accept their suffering and come into a relationship with suffering whereby suffering is viewed as a means of burning away one's false self or one's karma um, and otherwise uh, of course, developing the faculties of will and faith are essential to the, the path of adept. There are various tools that the um, that Ra describes that the adept can use in terms of dreaming, visualization, white magic, um, the archetypal mind, of course, engaging the disciplines of the personality, which Ra describes as knowing the self, accepting the self, and becoming the creator which is kind of shorthand for things we've been talking about. And um, learning to, as part of that development of the will, learning to harness one's focus, learning, I believe the adept is one who can concentrate um, on, a, on a fairly deep level. I don't mean like 24 seven, least but I, ultimately the the adept in the higher expressions of it is one who has come to a point of concentration whatever it is their profession in life or their temperaments they um again in the higher range have a single pointed focus on union with the creator that has infinite color to it and expression it's not a monochrome state of being of course but they are collected and concentrated um i think this connects also to why ra describes the work of the spirit as the uh a straight and narrow path all that energy has been integrated and concentrated into this coherent stream of self that connects down to the roots of the core desire to seek and to become one that's the phrase. But yeah, I would stop there. All right, thank you. Uh, Jim, did you have any opinions on how one dedicates themselves to the path of the adept? How one or how I? 
uh, how one or how you, either one. <laughs> well, as I understood the question, and now you're rephrasing it, um, I mentioned before about how people could consult their own hearts and their intuitions as to whether or not they felt that was the correct path to take. And for what I want to do with the rest of my life isn't not necessarily to be an adept, it's to do the Father's will. And that has been the only thing for the last few years that I have been interested in at all. And if that includes being an adept, then so be it. I, uh, the question, as I intended it, was how does one seek to become an adept? But I'm glad that um, there was a slight misunderstanding to give you the opportunity to share that, because I appreciate that. And I do think that orientation, I think, is basically the orientation of the adept. I think the adept in anything that they do would be seeking to do the will of the creator. And uh, just a real quick addition to what Gary said, and then that thought from you, Jim, in terms of how does somebody dedicate themselves to the path of the adept? I think uh, that prerequisite, as we've been hammering home this whole podcast, that baseline uh, approach to life that you know, processes catalyst has been able to integrate experiences to a point where they have some level of crystallization. Once that's established, I think that one of the primary things that sort of sets somebody on that path of adepthood is to take up a very specific spiritual practice. It could be something that is self-generated by the person themselves, but I think there's a lot of power at least this is my understanding, there's a lot of power in taking up some sort of practice that has a lineage, uh, that has an established set of tools that Gary was talking about, like these tools of how to, you know, practice magic in life, basically, whether it is something like a school of magic, or whether it is a very dedicated, specific form of spiritual practice, a specific type of meditation or visualization, or any kind of specific approach to uh, adopting certain tools, like studying the archetypical mind, something like that. I think that's really how an individual starts consciously walking that path of the adept rather than allowing the path to just gradually take them there. Uh, and I'd say that uh, similar as Gary is from a point of sort of blindness and ignorance that I haven't necessarily personally dedicated myself to any specific uh, practice like that. But in my understanding, that is how an adept would start to really tap into that potential and the conscious mindfulness of how to, you know, relate to life. So uh, that brings us to our final question is, do you have any examples of people that you believe are adepts? I'll start with you, Jim. Can you think of anybody you know that you would consider an adept, whether it's like a popular figure or somebody in your life? Well, I always thought that Carla and Don were adepts. Um, I mean, I really wouldn't know 
I mean, uh, I'm sorry, I really don't know anybody <laughs> that consider an adept. I mean, I'm sure many people that are public figures or spiritual people are adepts, but I'm not that familiar with the uh, general milieu of such people. Mm -hmm. I think Don and Carla are great examples. How about you, Gary? Yeah, I think um, inherent in the path of adeptness is um, by definition, as we understand it upon the positive polarity, is a transparency of personality. Um, you know, a non-inflated sense of egoic or separate self. So that also means a, a quality of humility and humbleness. I mean, pride, they say, is the last of the sins, so to speak, to go. You can read mystics, and um, I think nearly all of them have private struggles with with pride and sense of um, happiness, or yeah, like ascribing importance or significance or, or uh, over, what's the word I'm looking for, uh, happiness with achievement or something. So, uh, you know, the relationship with the separate self persists for a long, long time. But nonetheless, there's a certain uh, um, humility in the adept. And thus, uh, they may not be making a lot of noise. Um, it could be, um, the, you know, by outward appearances, particularly in a culture of focus on outward appearances, they might not come onto your radar might be a very simple person living very simply uh, in your own neighborhood or in your family or so forth. Um, might be a very gentle person, a very compassionate person, but they would be known also by their radiance and uh, their overall balance. And um, I, I would wager that most people attracted to the law of one material um, are seeking the path of adepthood. Like I was saying at the beginning, I see it's kind of an aspiration and it's a process. And um, the material like the law of one and other mystically oriented literature on planet earth, um, whatever its source or historical, origin is calling to people who want to accelerate their evolution and who have a yearning for the creator that is um, a measure of their sense of truth and their awakening to to truth so i think a, a lot of uh, readers of the law of one are walking the path of adepthood or aspiring to be upon that path and uh Jim described how, you know, my, his, his only desire is to do the will of, of the father. And that's an example, I think, of, of the processes I've been talking about, about distilling one's experience and refining it and purifying it and mining it to discover the core desire that was always there. And the further we progress, the more pure that desire gets, the more fully we inhabit that desire till we get to a place um, like Jim is describing for his own life, where we can sincerely say, that's all I want to do. My whole life 
is um, built around and oriented towards this one desire. Uh, so I think Jim is exemplifying the path of adepthood. Um, Don and Carla were in their own ways as well. And uh, it's actually inter an interesting case study for me to look at Don, Carla, and Jim because um, I'm aware of their quirks and <laughs> imperfections. Uh, and also the great diversity of their very different personalities. So it helps to clarify that adepts need not be superhuman, nor do they need to come in one saintly looking form. <laughs> Though maybe some adepts really dig robes and sandals and so forth. But, um, you know, we all are born through the soil of this planet and we all have the world within us, including all of its horrors and pains and imbalances. And that's our personal real estate that we need that we through love and acceptance and forgiveness lift up and let the creator let it make contact with the creator that it might that that the darkness might be dispelled to reveal the light under underneath um so you know the the adept is is allowed to be imperfect um two more quick examples one is that our friends in Asheville. I consider them very much on the path of the adept. Again, not because they're perfect or they have erased their human personalities or that uh, I agree with every perspective that they have, but rather because of their fidelity and consistency in, um, in walking the path. Like they are always working on catalysts and finding ways to do that on an interpersonal and collective basis and an inspiration for me in that regard. And my fellow uh, LL companions, uh, including uh, Austin, Trish, and Daniel, Joanna, and so forth, and so many of the people we, we interact with um, all lend inspiration. And they do to, to me and to us, and they do so because of their their faithfulness to the path because of the strength of their desire to seek the creator and the ways that they with more or less grace uh, encounter their suffering and grow through it a lot of the chronic difficulty with planet earth is people um, becoming embittered by their suffering and seeking to create more suffering as a result of the injuries that they received in life and the cross-section of people that we encounter thanks to this body of work called the law of one um, reveals people who are seeking to use their suffering to to find the creator so i i consider that the the work of the adept and then finally there's a woman named peace pilgrim whose book i would recommend to anybody she wrote an autobiography it was a slim work but she um, chronicles her own progression. You, you can see it happen um, in, in cycles or stages or, or steps whereby she, be, she purifies herself and releases those uh, self-gratifying desires in order to embody that space that, that Jim is describing. Like, I exist just to serve, just to seek, and I give my life to that completely and that manifested in um you know maybe you would use the word extreme austin but a very purified uh place in that she had almost no possessions um did not 
seek food or shelter unless it was given and set upon a journey of walking the country. Um, she uh, walked from coast to coast. I forget how many times, seven times, I want to say, over the course five. of five, 20 some years. Did you recently read Peace Pilgrim? Yes. Ah. A long time ago and recently. Yeah, I, I would really like to revisit it. Um, and uh, you know, Ra describes how awakening to true life manifests differently for, for different people. I, if you recall, they say like some become healers, some become workers, some become teachers. And this was um, the creator's will for, for peace pilgrim. That's how that was her piece to the collective puzzle of humanity, what she could, could gift. And it might manifest very differently for other people. But I, if, if someone wants to look at an adapt and adapt, I would recommend her also as a very um, purified example of what it looks like when somebody who's born a human, just like everybody else, but sacrifices and releases and, and becomes um, makes contact with the creator so to speak, even intelligent infinity. Um, and it, it doesn't have to, she's not working with occult powers per se. She's just uh, radiant and pure. Yeah, I really appreciate the sort of range that you're talking about, this approach to, you know, using this label as adept as something that is not necessarily, you know, going to look one specific way. And uh, I appreciate especially your example uh, using uh, Jim, Don, and Carla, because I often think about just the law of one. And we are, especially you and me, Gary, um, but at LR Research, we're in a very unique position to be aware of the impact that the law of one has been able to have mm -hmm. on so many lives. And that, uh, you know, we get so many emails constantly from people who've just been utterly transformed, and we've experienced that transformation ourselves. And to think about what do you want to achieve? If you're dedicating yourself to a spiritual path, and you want to say, become an adept, that's sort of in your mind, what is the end goal of that? Like, you want to contribute something to humanity, I'd imagine, that offers that kind of transformative power, whether it's in one particular moment, uh, just one-on-one -on -one interaction, you smile at somebody on the street, and that transforms them in that moment, or whether it is you perform this great act of what I would consider real high magic that brings through uh, basically a text that helps to, you know, bring the light to so many people's lives. And, you know, the impact that the law of one has had on me and on so many people, if I could achieve just a small portion of that, uh, it would be, you know, a life well lived. But then thinking about also that, you know, Don, Jim and Carla, they're just sorry to talk about you like you're not here, Jim, but all just uh, very normal people and sometimes consider like when uh, Jim was doing Jim's lawn service, you know, his lawn service customers, he was the guy that cut their lawn. But to so many other people, he took part in one of the most profound, you know, happenings that ever happened on planet Earth. And it was uh, thanks to efforts from him and Don and Carla, uh, you know, lives have been transformed and saved because of that. And uh, he's um, mowing the grass. <laughs> so I think that's a really good example of what an adept can look like. They can mm. just, they can be mowing the lawn and they can be running the lawn service and um, they just uh, have 
dedicated themselves to a certain orientation in life that allows for the potential or the opportunity for something like the law of one to happen or uh, something like uh, just being able to insert the right words in a certain situation, bring a smile in a certain situation that it has, you know, impact that really transforms that moment and brings the love and light of the creator to that moment. Uh, so I think using them as an example for especially you and me, Gary, because we have some familiarity with the the humanness of it and uh, what happened through that humanness too. Um, so <laughs> thank you for tolerating us talking about you, Jim. <laughs> uh, and also thank, thank you. you for uh <laughs> the law of one it's pretty good <laughs> i'd give it a good rating yeah <laughs> uh so that uh brings us sort of to the end of our discussion i think uh, do you have any uh follow-ups uh gary uh not for today but i just wanted to table it maybe for future discussion maybe for the listener's own consideration that there are other really interesting threads to explore and a few that occurred to me were um the you know the groping in the moonlight that's really rich um ra also describes the burden upon the adept and uh in 71.15 that would have been interesting to explore and i would also like to explore the the adept's relationship to its to the body complex and to sexuality as well because um, it's such a fundamental aspect of the human experience and it's one often neglected in our own podcasts but that can be for another time otherwise um Austin, thanks for proposing this topic and formulating these questions and hosting this episode. And thanks, uh, Jim, for lending your light as well. It's an honor to be discussing these things with you guys. Yeah, thank you too, Gary. Uh, Jim, do you have any final thoughts on adepthood? Well, I think it's something that, you know, that's a path that we're all traveling. And uh, we travel it as imperfect beings, uh, that gives us a chance to know a lot more about ourselves eventually through those imperfections. As Ross said, there are no mistakes. And as we travel together, um, let's remember that we are all part of each other. We are each other's other self. And we can help each other along the spiritual path uh, simply by sharing the love that is in every moment and feeling that love for each other and for people that maybe are hard to love. Uh, the world around us is full of confusion and separation and anger. But if we can love everybody, every person on the planet, as we love the ones that are easy to love, then that love that is in every moment is enhanced so that somehow at some level of consciousness it aids the evolution of every person on the planet it helps the creator to know itself in a more beneficent way shall we say i think the creators learned a lot about itself in its bellicose way let's go for some beneficence <laughs> and uh, thank you all for listening to us tonight here this morning i guess it's this afternoon now uh, <laughs> wherever you are on the planet whatever your time zone is um, thank you for being with us we appreciate your listening 
And we appreciate your love because we know that you are always sending it back to us. Thank you so much, Jim. And thank you to the listeners. You have been listening to LL Research's Law of One podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed the show and you can find more from LL Research at lrresearch.org. Thank you so much for listening and for supporting the podcast. And a special thank you to Jim and Gary, particularly for their very enlightening answers and for joining me today for this discussion. If you have a question or a topic that you'd like for us to discuss, please read the instructions at www.lrresearch.org slash podcast. We love you all and we will talk to you soon.